Hello and welcome to Don't Spoil the Ending. Uh, what episode are we on? Have we not? 49. 49. Okay. Bit rusty. So I've, I uh, <laughs> <laughs> did not actually look at the number up before we started today. Um, I'm Joe. I'm Steve. Hi, I'm John. Uh, we're recording this podcast again over over the internet. Back in a second lockdown, aren't we? Yeah, back on back on the Zoom again. How are you finding your second lockdown? Oh, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Yeah. What about you guys? I've had to cancel a bunch of stuff. I was meant to be on a nice little weekend away this weekend that's gone down the pan. But uh, well, the thing is, because it's the national lockdown, like I've not lost out on any money or anything like that. It's all been sorted with the hotels. They've been all right about giving us our uh, deposit back and stuff like that. But Oh, that's good. It's nightmare for stuff like, well, it's nightmare for businesses like that. Like, to us, our, our trade's not like impacted too much by it. We can sort of basically carry on at home, can't we? But like pubs yeah. and restaurants, like, I just want to go out for a meal or a drink. <laughs> Takeaways just aren't the same. Yeah, you just want to see someone, don't you? You know what I mean? Like, just see like actual humans kind of thing. <laughs> see, even in that little lull that we've sort of had, you know, that lull between these two lockdowns, between peak one and peak two, like, yeah. I didn't change much. I, I stay pretty much, not, not, not as locked down, but pretty much, pretty, you know, far locked down. So, yeah, yeah my, my year, I've, I've spent most of this year just sat in this chair. <laughs> it's literally <laughs> mad. <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to get out as much as possible, but like I say, back in the second lockdown again. I mean, well, it's definitely not as a not as strict as the first one. I popped into a town the other day to pick up the new next gen consoles, and I was shocked how busy everywhere was. A lot of places are still open to do click and collect stuff like that. All the cafes in town are still open, so uh, it's definitely not as strict as the first one, but. Just feels a bit a uh, bit pointless, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you mentioned next gen consoles, there, John. Yeah, yeah. Got uh, got both the Xbox Series X and the PS Five. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, loving them both at the moment. Uh, it's one of them, like we know when people with the whole console wars and stuff like that, and people debate about which one's best, which one to get, kind of thing. For me, it's really a case for these two. You can't go wrong, kind of thing. Like they're both really good. And they've both got their own like uh, areas where they, they excel kind of thing. So whichever one you go for, you're going to end up with a, with a class console. Yeah, I've, I've heard some... I'll probably end up with a PS5, but some of the stuff I've heard with Xbox were... Um, it, it's, is it the, a lot of people's experience with that is they'll put like an Xbox One game into this new console and the process of playing it in a new version, you know, like all upscaled or whatnot... It was just the case of putting the disc in, downloading a patch and running it, and then it would just run like super fast. It'd be great. Whereas on the yeah. PlayStation, I don't think they've got that same type of support. I can't remember what it was called. That was like Smart something. Uh, yeah, Smart Delivery. Smart delivery. Yeah. I think that's the name yeah. of what that was called. But um, yeah, I think the PlayStation's going to suffer with a few things like that anyway. Definitely. Like uh, in terms of like, the pros and cons, uh, the the big big pro for the PS5 is like it does it feels more like a next gen console than the Xbox One does purely because the controller like it has like haptic feedback and stuff like that and the triggers are resistant like depending on what you're playing the triggers will feel different like if you're trying to like pull a gun trigger it'll you can feel it click when you like get to the point where you're gonna you know you're gonna shoot kind of thing it resists in a different way than like whereas the Xbox One it's just the triggers that 
depress. Yeah, I've, I've heard about the controller. I've, I've heard that was that's one of the main selling points at the moment because people have yeah. been using it and it's it's almost been like, you know, that amazing that people have been talking about how good they are. Yeah, that's the that's what feels like next gen kind of thing. I was playing a game the other day and it was raining and like you can feel the raindrops like pattering on the on the control pad when you're playing kind of thing. <laughs> Just stuff oh, like that. Yeah, it's like really good that controller. Uh, so like in terms of it being like a next gen experience, the PS5 is better for that kind of thing. But Xbox excels with just the uh, like Game Pass. Yeah, you can you can buy a, con- a Series X console, and there's, I think there's something like seven or eight games on Game Pass which are like next gen games. You can just play straight away, kind of thing. You don't have to buy another game for the Series X. You can just buy that with Game Pass. How do you set for a month or two with the amount of games that are on there? Whereas PS5, you get one next gen game through PS Plus, and that's it. Yeah. If you want another game, you've got to buy it, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, they've both got the pros and cons. For me, I think in, in the long run, I'll probably find myself playing the Xbox more just because of Game Pass. There'll be so much choice on there to play stuff like that. But again, you can't go wrong. They're both uh, they're both really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, are you? Are you uh, yeah, I was just going to say, Steve, are you looking at getting an Xbox, or are you? Uh, have you been swayed at all by any of the stuff you've seen from the PS5? Um, do you know what? I wish I was in a position where I could have both. Um, I'm going to be sticking with Xbox because the amount of use I've had out of my Xbox One is insane. And it's because of Game Pass. Like, I've not bought a... Last time I bought a game brand new might have been Red Dead 2. I mean, like, that's so what we're talking like last year now. And this has been a year where I've been predominantly inside. And I've just been playing on Game Pass like constantly, so I should have a Series X. It's a it's a Christmas present, so I won't get it to the day of Christmas, which is a bit of a pain because I've got to wait a month and a half to actually use it. <laughs> but uh, but I am tempted to maybe think about investing in a. I know it's not exactly next generation, but I'm tempted to try and maybe pick up the PS4 now just to play some of the exclusives that I've missed through the PS4 life. Uh, which is as the, the upside of PlayStation and Sony is they do tend to have the exclusives, whereas I think every game that's on both consoles, I think it's just more worthwhile to play in the Xbox. But I've, you know, there's there's a lot of games I've missed out that I really would love to play. Um, God of War is one of them. Um, uh, Ghost of Tsushima is another one I would have loved Spider-Man. to play that. Eh. I mean, can't get better than Spider-Man on the PS One, so. It's a big show. It's a controversial one. Game. <laughs> it's a Spider-Man game. I get all those comics by back in whenever it came out. It was like next level stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I've been looking at them, but I, I, I just it's just not the right time for me to buy a PlayStation Five. I think, I think uh, I don't. I, I think it took me about three or four years to jump onto PS3. Like that, that was a generation that I sort of joined a bit late. Um, yeah, PS5 like. I think once I, get, I upgrade my TV and I get a really good television, then that'll be the point where I'm going, right, I really want to play a really high-resolution game. You know, I want to make this TV look, like, great. I think that's the only point that I would want to do, but I don't think there's enough there yet, especially on, you know, next year. I don't think, you know, there's, there's enough yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of them. Like, I'll just show you, like, I've got me games here. <laughs> I've predominantly gone Xbox, but... Mm. Got like 11 game, 11 next gen games. I don't know if you can see them there, but yeah, 
got like uh, got a sack boy. <laughs> I got just, for a minute there, for a minute there, I forgot we were recording the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to look at the screen better. <laughs> we are... I've got, uh, got sack boy, Demon Souls, Mortal Kombat 11, and Spider Man on PS5. And Yakuza Like a Dragon, Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, The Falcon A, Call of Duty Black Ops, NBA 2K21, and Dirt 5 for the Xbox. Yeah. So it's like, that. I'm not gonna lie, that is literally all I'm gonna buy until like new games come out. There's nothing yeah. else out that I wanna buy kind of thing. So they should see me through to like January or something. But uh, yeah, they need they need new games out ASAP kind of thing, just to keep the uh, yeah. keep the flow going kind of thing. You think as well though, like I, there's not that much of a step, is there, at the moment? Like in terms of, you know, the late, the end of one generation, the start of the next generation. It's not always a massive leap these days, is it? It's a bit more incremental. Yeah, this this year has been the one where, like, on paper, it's the smallest leap going forward, kind of thing. Even stuff like this, like Demon Souls, is probably the best looking game I've seen. Like it looks incredible, but when you break it down. It's literally the same game from 2009. Like, gameplay-wise, they've changed nothing about it. It plays exactly the same. It looks incredible, but it's a game from 11 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so even though that's the most next-gen game, it's an experience that you can have right now. Well, you could have had 11 years ago on the PS3 kind of thing. So it's definitely not essential. But uh, I've got to admit, like, like you mentioned, the smart delivery thing. For example, Dirt 5. It's the when you buy it on the Xbox, it's the Xbox One and the Series X version on the same disc kind of thing. And when I played it on next gen on Series X, so I was shocked how how next gen it felt kind of thing, considering it's just like the same disc that you put into an Xbox One. Uh, just the, the like sixty frames a second, the native four K. It really like the performance of it is really like quite quite astounding kind of thing. Uh, it, I, I was not expected to feel that next gen, but it does feel like an actual jump when you when you play it, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving it so far. It's been a been a really good upgrade. Yeah, I, I, I think um, it it does look impressive. A lot, a lot of things, don't they? You know, like it, it, the get the games and the loading times. It it does sound amazing. So yeah, I can't wait to see what what comes next. Really. Yeah. Yep. It'd be, um, be nice once we get some more dedicated games to it. It's just been such a weird launch because there's just there's not many like proper exclusives at all. Because like the previous generation is still so heavily supported, everything that's coming out now is on the old generation anyway. Yeah. Um, I think even with the uh, PlayStation Five, I mean, the big console launch is Spider Man, which is, I mean, it's an add-on to a game that was on the PS4. I mean, it's been upscaled a bit. But it's still just well, like it's just DLC, isn't it? Essentially, like the Miles Morales game, you can get it on PS4 as well. Yeah. It's like a cross-platform yeah. game. You know what I mean? It's like not essential to have a PS5 to play it. Well, it's like Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, um, <clears throat> that's coming out. That's going everywhere. Is it so though? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure one day it's going to come out. But um, I'm, uh, I'm assuming that might be that could be one of them games. Well, it's coming out on PC, isn't it? So that's going to look incredible on next gen. But at the end of the day, it's been built to also run on a PS4 because that's the built-in. So, is it, would you even class that as next gen yet? If if it can be handled on a on a pre gen, well, what would you call it? A previous generation's console. Like it's not really next gen. Yeah, I'm, I know what you mean. It's like uh, 
almost like it's holding it back a bit because they haven't had to develop games to run on both the current, well, I say previous gen and now now the current gen kind of stuff. So could definitely be a case where it holds it back. Yeah. And especially with Xbox doing the uh, the Series S as well, which is, you know, underpowered compared to the Series X kind of thing. Everything's got to run on that as well. So could be a case where the developers are hampered a bit by having to make sure everything, the games run on everything kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that's what's caused this latest delay for Cyberpunk. Um, it's it's that they're, they're, they're having to release on so many different platforms. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Well, like, I've seen the actual details of that. Cyberpunk, is it the 10th of December now it's scheduled to come out? Yeah, eventually. But that's only yeah. for, in terms of consoles, that's only for PS4 and Xbox One. You can play them on the next-gen consoles, but the actual next-gen update won't be out until, like, March or something. Yeah, it's, it, it's like, it is properly next year, isn't it, comparatively? Yeah, so they're really, like, really kind of hampering it a bit, I think. It's one of them, like, me personally, I know a lot of people love the game and play it forever, but I, I'll only play it for a month or two and then give up on yeah. it. Uh, I'm not going to go back next year and think, oh, there's a next-gen upgrade for this now. I'll, I'll pop it back in. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll have been done with it by then. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit like GTA. Um, GTA. I think the funny thing about GTA is, um, was it Sony who made a big point of that on their press press conference? They were like, "Hey, look, you can play GTA Five on PS Five." It's like, yeah, that game came out on PS Three. That that that, yeah. that, yeah. that game has spanned three separate generations and been released That's on mental. all of them. It's insane. That's like, crazy. But it, it, yeah, that, that that game deserves its own podcast to talk about what that's managed to make money wise. It's crazy, but um, yeah, it's crazy that that game it's is still in the top ten. Is it really it's like still in the top ten selling games? Yeah, it's it's crazy. It makes no sense. But it's since it's come out, it's basically just stayed in the top ten selling game. The funny thing is, I, I, mean, I, I bought own, two copies. I was going to say, I bought <laughs> I bought two copies myself, and I got a free copy on. I think I got it on Epic, probably. Um, yeah, so like I've got three different versions of that. Paid for two of them. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not ready yet for next gen. But while we're on the subject of games, we got anything else next gen? Uh, should we cover or are we talking? No, I think, I'm, think I'm done. With games entirely, Steve. Oh, sorry. One, uh, one final thing. I feel like this. I mentioned the PS5 controller, the Xbox controller, Steve. Really similar to the current one, but it's got like a textured underside to it. Can you hear this? Yeah, it's got a really nice te- texture underneath it. Like, and I just love it. I love the way it feels and stuff. <laughs> so even though I love the Xbox One pad, best pad. I, I do. Honestly, I, yes. it feels like graphite or something. You know what I mean? It feels really nice. But so even though the PS5 controller's got graphite. all the bells and whistles, that just feels like <laughs> just feels really nice. So I think you're gonna love that. Feels like pencils. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can explain what I mean. Do you know like a, a tennis racket, like a graphite tennis racket when it has that kind of car- like, oops, like, like a powdered car- finish? Carbony feeling to it, like, yeah. Feels like that. I'm like, oh, I love it. Love the feel of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a couple of games to talk about, um, both like current generation, although they are both on the next generation with like redone. Oh, no, sorry. I'm not sure about one of them. But uh, the first one is going to be next generation. That's Ark Survival Evolved, which is just Minecraft with dinosaurs and <laughs> added nonsense. Um, it's really it's one of those games where I would go on it just to feed my dinosaurs for a little bit, and then it's four <laughs> hours later, and I've done basically nothing. 
Um, <laughs> I've played it quite a lot over the years, and I always have such a massive love-hate relationship with it. And it's just happened today because I've gone on. I have my big bird that I like to run around on. Uh, and I got him killed today. So I probably won't play the game for four or five months while I just get over it. <laughs> um, because I just formed such a, an attachment to the, the animals in it that once you've tamed them and made them your friends, that when you lose one, it's, it's quite Steve, emotional. Steve, did, yeah. we, did, did we cover Red Dead 2? We did, yeah. Yeah, I'm we sure. did. Well, me and you talked about it quite a lot in the Game of the Year show. Uh, uh, I was, I was going to say, um, did, did, would would your animal death on that one compare to the, uh, or you know, the awful conclusion to? Oh, I should have really <laughs> spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, read there too, like, you know, the moment, the moment of the game. For- uh, the moment that you're alluding to in Red Dead, which you only got if you're like best mate of your heart, yeah, is fantastic. Um, <laughs> This one was great because it was in the when I lost my bird today, it was in complete darkness and I didn't have a torch and I was just getting attacked and I didn't know what was attacking me. I could just hear noises and then it died and then I died. Is this, it was horrible. Like, this sounds a bit like a uh, subnautica, but in land, uh, well, on land and set in prehistoric times, so <laughs> probably nothing like subnautica. But it sounds like it, it <laughs> plays a bit like it, you know, discovery and stuff. Is that about what, what it like? Yeah, hundred percent. It's just it's sort of yeah. Basic survival game. It's it's like Minecraft. You you know you you get resources. You build like little bases and stuff like that. It's just as dinosaurs that you can tame. Um, interestingly, it's got a really sort of weird storyline that you can find out about, but it's not important to the game whatsoever. It's a very odd sci-fi storyline. It's just <laughs> mental. The gist of it is, it's called Ark because you're on a floating ark in space that has gone wrong essentially. But it just has a bunch of dinosaurs and a bunch of people. The storyline's mental. It's one of those where it only tells you there's like little notes you can find in the world, and then that's the only way you find out about the storyline. So if you miss those notes, you've got no idea what's going on. That, again, that sounds like you know, there's stuff like that in Subnautica. It it's like there's the, there's a reason. Like I've been thinking of going back on that recently, and the thing that's stopping me is that I'm gonna have to play it for twenty hours to get where I was up to. I can't just load my save up because. I can't. You can't just go back and figure out what you've been, you've done. You know, the last time you played it. Yeah, the, the, that, the way you're explaining it, I don't know. I am, I am a lot more interested in it now. Previously, I just saw it as some kind of dinosaur game, and I just didn't see the. Well, one thing you can do as well is you can play online with like people as well, like you can with Minecraft. You can have like a little tribe, so you can go and like hunt to tame dinosaurs together and like work together, try and trap them and bring them down and stuff like that. That's really cool. Uh, just touching on Subnautica quickly. When I first played it, I got it in game preview when it first came out for the Xbox. Yeah. Um, and I played through it, and there wasn't really a storyline implemented. They like, sort of patched the story in later. Yeah. So when I went back to do the story, um, I just did it in creative mode, so you don't have to worry about health or oxygen or food, and like smashed through it. So I mean, if you want to just check out the story, I'd be maybe tempted to just do that and then just beeline through it. Yeah, they they put most of the most of the story in when I played it, so I'm gonna probably replay it, and then I know after that, um, is it called Below Zero, the second one? What I want to do is I want to jump on that one and start completely from scratch, brand new story. Um, it's on a completely different planet. I think that's that's one for me to pretty much pick up, you know, as soon as it's finished. Yeah, uh, the other sorry. No, go 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 on. Just to move on a little, the other game I have been playing is, I'm way behind on this, um, 
recently Game Pass, EA Play is also now part of Game Pass. So if you have a Game Pass subscription, you get all the EA Play games as well. So yeah. I've been smashing through a couple of EA games that I've missed. Um, the big one is Star Wars Fallen Order. Um, oh, yeah. So I put a good couple of hours into that this weekend, this week, because it's just come out. Um, I'm gutted I missed it first time around. I'm really enjoying the game. Um, and bear in mind, I've got an original Xbox. I've not got an Xbox One X or anything like that. It's like a very early Xbox. But it does struggle a little bit in some of the cutscenes. It still looks incredible. Um, I've just properly been loving it. It's... Yeah, so that's an interesting point, actually. I completed it last year, but I was playing it on the Xbox One X. And it really struggled running it on that as well. Like it, the performance issues were just slow down at every like five minutes kind of thing. Uh, but I gave it a try on the Series X last week, and it runs like a dream kind of thing. So it's another example of where like you play the stuff on on the current on Series X and what have you, and it's almost like this is how it was designed to be played. You know what I mean? Like like the last gen consoles just couldn't keep up with it kind of thing. The performance issues, but yeah, I, I loved it. Though. I thought it was great. Yeah, the gameplay sort of reminds me quite a lot of like the Tomb Raider reboots that happened a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. It's almost like a bit of a Metroidvania game where you're getting new abilities and you can go back to places that you've been and explore and find more. Um, I think I was doing, you and I, I was playing it and I went to a new planet. I completed the main mission in like half an hour, 40 minutes, but I spent like another hour on the planet just finding secrets or like trying to get hidden things and stuff like that. Yeah. And I just I just love that that's things like I, I spent twice as long as I did doing the actual mission on a planet just messing about trying to find cool stuff. Um yeah, so I, I've been really impressed with it so far. I remember thinking that playing it like there's there's one planet you get to which is kinda of like got a lot of portals you need to go into. But there's bits where you get to it, you're like, oh, that bit I clearly can't do yet. I'm not powerful enough to do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you, you might need like a triple jump to get to that bit or something like and you can just tell by looking at stuff like, ah, I'll have to come back to that later once I've levelled up yeah. to, <laughs> to actually get there kind of thing. And that's, that's it for games for me. It's just those two. Well, and World of Tanks, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I think World of Tanks is probably your go-to, is it? <laughs> just, just... Oh, I play it daily, yeah. <laughs> um, so can I'm... I just jump in there to quick? Just while we're on the topic, Steve reminded me. Another thing with Game Pass on Series X, you can get a No Man's Sky, the next-gen version, just free on Game Pass. Like, which is insane. Like, and, uh, and Destiny 2, the next-gen version of that, Destiny 2 with all the DLC, is just free on Game Pass. I feel yeah, like the my brand best... new DLC that's come out recently is straight yeah. on Game Pass, which is... Straight on Game Pass. Huge. I feel like I'm a bit of a Microsoft salesman here, but, like, I just can't oversell how, like, how good Game Pass is. Like, they're just giving you all this quality content for, like, part of your monthly subscription kind of thing you sound like what i sound like when i'm talking about you know the epic store like um for the last few podcasts because i'm like <laughs> oh i got got civilization six on the epic store or oh, i got gta it's like they've they've we, we should start asking for payment on this though it's just free yeah, advertising at this stage yeah, sponsorship going on. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh for me i've only i've played a lot of a lot of games recently but i think the one i want to talk about today um uh, I, re- I revisited Final Fantasy IX, so that came out in 2000. So that, that game is two decades old now. Um, played it on the PS4. It was an interesting one for me because, like, going back and revisiting a game that I played when I was 12 and that it, it like, genuinely had, like, quite an impact on me, like, when I was that old. Like, that at that point in time, that was the biggest thing ever. I couldn't believe it when I played it. Um, then for 
years and years. It's been it's been my favourite game. So it's it's been until well until Persona Five came out, and then I'm kind of like I'm on the fence now about whether that's like an actual my, actually my favourite game or not. But revisited it, and it it was interesting playing it from the eyes of someone who's twenty years older now from when they first played it, and I think I think it stands up in you know in the modern day. They've added a lot of features into the PS4 version where you can skip through a lot of stuff you don't really probably want to play. Um, so like random battles, you can just skip them now. You can just turn them off. So usually how I play, go to a place, do a couple of battles and then just turn it off because I've seen what I want to see. I don't want to grind. Um, yeah, and, you, and it, it's stuff like that. And you end up just flying through the game a lot quicker. And as someone in your 30s, when you've got a child, that's a lot a lot better to do is to experience what you want to experience experience of a game rather than grind because that's one thing i can't i can't do now i can't i can't do games that involve a lot of grinding it just i I, I don't know what you two feel about grinding in games but i think i don't know the older you get the more you just can't be bothered yeah it depends what the game is i suppose if it's like like uh, grinding all the time (laughs) 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 if it's like a sports game like NBA Playgrounds 2, I'll, I'll grind the shit out of that. Like, I'll just, I'll just play it repeatedly to unlock everything kind of thing. But, I mean, I'm not a big RPG guy, anyway, to be honest. So I don't really... The idea of that to me, yeah, does seem a bit like... I just couldn't do it, I don't think, in an RPG. But yeah, I, I basically want... sports game, definitely. Yeah, I, I want to sort of relive the game rather than have to go and go, right, do I really want to spend the next three hours grinding on the world map to get higher levels yeah. so I can do that boss? Like, they've literally got a button that makes you invincible in the battles. So it's like, if you want to just experience the story, you just turn all that on and just skip through most of the game. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I uh, I appreciated that in my 30s, playing it again. Um, yeah, so well, a few things about this game I just want to mention is that it's, I think it's the style of the game and the art and the music. Basically, everything is it's just it's so unique for what it was. Um, it's got its own sort of... So the the two previous Final Fantasy games before that were Final Fantasy seven and eight, and they were up, they were both set in modern sort of futuristic settings, industrial settings. Whereas this was more of a yeah, it's it's a lot more fantasy, more dreamlike than some of the other Final Fantasy games. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed sort of revisiting that. Uh, I I don't know, it's a weird one trying to review it in an objective fashion when you've sort of, you know, when it's, when, you know, when you've met it so early in your life, I don't, John, I don't know if you've ever, yeah, I don't, you mean, I don't like know if the, you thought about Jaws, I don't know. I'm going to say that like, with the film scenario kind of thing, it's hard to, uh, when you look at a film now that you loved when you were five, five years old, it's hard to disassociate yourself with Those why, why do I love this? You know what I mean? Like it's hard to actually look at it and understand why you like it. <laughs> yeah. Other yeah. than, it just reminds you of being a kid kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, I could see the flaws in the game when we're this age, whereas obviously when I was a kid, it was just this magical experience. <laughs> even though it's like, <laughs> even the times where you just, you can tell you weren't, I look back and I think how you couldn't have been enjoying some of that. Like back then, it was all just part of the package. It was all just part of the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got for games this week. I did want to mention a book. Um, so there's a film coming out soon uh, called Dune. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, I thought to myself, why not try and read the book <laughs> before the film comes out? I know it's quite a long book, but I thought, you know, I thought, I thought I'd make a start. Um, I'd been told it was a bit like Game of Thrones in space. Now, John, I know you've got a bit more knowledge. Wow, have you read the first book? 
I'd hopefully ever have read it in full. I, I know this, I've seen the, the, the David Lynch films, so I know the story and stuff, but yeah, I don't have an in-depth, not like Game of Thrones, I don't have like an in-depth knowledge like I do with Game of Thrones kind of thing. Yeah, so what, I've, what I can tell from this book is that um, it has got the depth because it's, it's uh, well, basically, I've read, I've read through chapter one, that's, that's what I'm up to. Um, I'm, I'm purposely avoiding the David Lynch film simply because I know that it's going to be hard to find whichever version it was that he <laughs> he probably approve of. Um, but as far yeah, well, when I was reading about it, uh, there was uh, it's it was basically that there was a lot of pre production issues, wasn't there? And it, it, I don't think he felt at the end that that was his actual vision that came. Yeah, out. I think it was a uh, Dino De Laurentiis who was the producer, and he's famously kind of almost wants his own way on the film and stuff. You know what I mean? Like Lynch is. The complete, completely wrong director to get if you want. <laughs> yeah. if, if if your producer wanting the film to look the way you want it to look, kind of thing. Because Lynch has got his own ideas into. Yeah, it's a like you have to remind me, but like it, the books are very political, aren't they? Kind of thing, and yeah, it's all about the houses and what have you, and you know, Spice Man and stuff like that. The film is just a lot weirder and creepier, kind of thing. Like a lot of weird alien imagery and stuff like that. So it's good. I, I, I quite like it. Yeah, I, I maybe, I'll definitely seek it out after I've probably watched the new one. I, I don't want to ruin the book for myself by watching the David Lynch film, but I want to watch it in this order first. Yeah, the yeah. With, um, you mentioned about with David Lynch there. Uh, in his own words, he said he'd sold out early on and the direction of the film wasn't what he wanted to be, <laughs> pretty much. Like, uh, pretty much what he said. Um, yeah. But it does mark the point where it's the first time he, him and... Uh, Kyle McLaughlin first worked together. That's that's an yeah. interesting point that it, it's on that film where that relationship started. He played is it Paul Paul Atreides Atreides or Atreides or something? Was it Steve Paul? Michael. Was it Paul he played? Is he the young the young son of the family? Paul Atreides. Paul Atreides Paul's the or... young Paul yeah Paul's the young son of the the family. Um... Yeah. yeah, that's Kyle McLaughlin, and in the new film it's uh, Timothy Chalamet who everyone's all the girls are creaming their pants over at the moment so. <laughs> <laughs> he's got quite yeah. a fan base up there so yeah I mean I, I can't wait for the film I've, I've, um, I've well have we all seen the trailer yeah 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 so Steve you got any experience with the book I've not no um, it's one of those for me that I've always intended to read but like you said before it's, it's quite a big book so um, it's not a time to even think about getting faster some of that size yeah, I mean, uh, from from reading it, I can tell from the start it, it's incredibly dense. Um, it throws so much here without explaining anything. Um, I think yeah. that's probably a plus point because it gives it extra readability. You know, when you read it back, if you were to do that, it's probably it's a book you can read more than once. But it's it's yeah. daunting on a first read because you're just reading it and you're like, who are these? Who are all these people? Where am I? What's going on? And it just drops you sort of straight into it. Doesn't explain anything. Yeah. I've got the audio book and I've not started it yet. I should say that, sorry, I've, I, that's what I've been listening to. I've been listening to the audio And I find audiobooks with stuff like that, which is dense, I find it actually harder to, when you're reading something, you go at your own pace. And if it's, if it's dense like that, you can just visualise things at your own pace and work it out. You, you come to understand who everyone is. When it's an audio book and you're getting it read at you, if you if you tune out for like thirty seconds, you're like shit. Where what where am I, where am I up to? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm yeah. completely off track. Then and I've lost track of everything. Kind of thing. Yeah, I've had to re-listen to that's, a few sections to pick it up. Yeah, yeah, that's my problem with audio books. Is like I listen to quite a lot of fiction podcasts, 
Um, and yeah, I'm always having to rewind and re-listen to some of it. Because um, a yeah. lot of time when I'm listening to some of it, I'm, or I'm doing some of it as well. So I'm walking somewhere or I'm doing some housework or like the washing up or something. I'm listening to it. And yeah, like you said, you would tune out for a second and you miss some important. It is an absolute nightmare. You just got to start again. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I'm enjoying it though. Um, it's, it's taken and it's taken focus to get through it and understand what is going on. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely one that I, I don't want to fall like with Game of Thrones towards the end of Game of Thrones. I kind of wish I'd read the books first than watched the show. So for this, I do want to read the book, at least the first one before I dive into the films anyway. Oh, the, yeah. the, the new film and the David Lynch one possibly afterwards. Um, I know what you mean. Like, I am like that. The amount of times where, like, I'll see that a film's coming out and I know it's based on a book and I think, right, if I'm going to read the book, now's the time. Because once I've seen the film, for me, like, a book is all about knowing what happens next kind of thing. So, like, if you know the story, it's like, I, I'm not interested in reading the book because I know, I know the story kind of thing. So I need to uh, get through the book before the film comes out. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... I, w- I would say, like, I- I've watched that Dune, the, the Dune trailer uh, twice now. Um, I watched it once a few months ago and then once after I'd read this chapter. And the first time I watched it, I thought, oh, that looks like a really good film. Can't wait for that. The, sec- the-, the time I watched the trailer after I'd read some of the book, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I got the context. Yeah. I got what was going on. There was a scene that's in the first chapter, which is uh, Paul putting his hand in the-, the box of pain. That's on the trailer. And I was like, right, I, I understand what's going on there now. And I got I got more out of just the trailer, so I can imagine the film would be a lot better. And the film's got Batista in it, so yeah, that's that's worth mentioning. Like it's directed by Denny Denny Villeneuve, who, who I'm a big fan of, and all of his films have a have a similar look to them, a bit like Nolan. He has his own look to his films. It's all really uh, desaturated and stuff. The way the way he does stuff, and it, again, it looks like that. It's got that desaturated kind of like brown glow over the whole film kind of thing uh looks like a rival and it looks like blade runner 2049 you know what i mean it looks like those kind of films that he's already done kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting as well like um yeah it, it's yeah I'm, I'm i'm done with june um as a uh what should we move on to next i don't know if we've got any books we don't usually do books so uh where do you want to go next do you want to jump into the film or well, actually i'll just mention one film i've watched i forgot about that uh I watched, uh, only today, I watched Hor- Horrible Bosses for like the first time since it came out. Don't know why I ended up watching this. I just thought, I was off work, I just thought I'd find a film to put on. I've got it on Blu-ray, set up there, never watched it, so I thought I'd stick Hor- Horrible Bosses on. It's one of the films that like, I like it, but I don't know why I like it. Like, I genuinely can't explain <laughs> it. Like, it's a comedy, and I can't think of anything in the film that I find funny. Like, but I kind of like it, it was kind of fine, you know what I mean? I've seen it in a while. But, uh, yeah, it's like good cast like Jason Bateman. I think he's great in everything. Uh, Kevin Spacey before he was uh, blacklisted. Uh, Colin Farrell, Jennifer Aniston, Charlie Day, Jason Sudeikis, Jamie Fox. Uh, yeah, it's Jamie Fox in it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people in there. But uh, yeah, I like it. I, I watch it. The film just like washes over me. And afterwards, I'm thinking like, why do I like that film? I can't even remember what happened. Like, do you know what I mean? It's good. Completely in my head and then out of my head in the same day, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, oh, it's perfectly fine. Give it three stars. But one thing I will mention: I am so sick of like after-credit comedy scenes. You know, like in comedies where you, after the uh, once the credits start rolling, they show you like all the outtakes. 
during the film and stuff, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's just so funny. It's like, you think that's funny? Like, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, like Jason Bateman tripping over his words, and everyone's like, oh, <laughs> cracking up laughing. That's just like, <laughs> you, thought that, you thought that was good enough to put on, to put all your credits at the end of the film. Like, so yeah, I'm, uh, band, band, band credit, comedy outtakes. I'm sick of them. <laughs> other than that, though, perfectly fine. Three stars. Fair enough. Nice. Steve, have you got anyone else got any films or anything? Um, just, well, I've not got any films really aside from the one that we'll be discussing soon. But before we move on to that, I did want to just mention a TV show that I've been watching recently because it's mental. Um, it's called Comrade Detective. I don't know if any of you guys have saw this on Amazon. No, I've not heard of that. So the has, gist of it is... Sorry, what? Has an Inman mentioned this show in the past? Or... I feel like he might have done. It feels familiar. Um, I think it's relatively recent. Um, but the gist of it is um, there was an 80s buddy cop show in Romania that was lost to time and has recently been rediscovered and remastered and redubbed in English and has now been released over here. Um, I feel like I've heard of this. Yeah, the two main characters are voiced by Channing Tatum and um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, and it's it's incredible. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely probably because it's such a by the book sort of eighties like cop show. It's like it's like it's like Minder, and it's like yeah, all that sort of gritty. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's like that, but then <laughs> it's just got it's just got sprinklings of communism. But the way they work, like propaganda to it is incredible like the dialogue is genuinely fantastic um one of my favorite standout jokes was early on uh, the gist of it is uh, like all sort of um, police procedurals like that nature you have a grizzled old veteran his partner dies he gets a younger new partner you don't like each other that's how it goes <laughs> for those things uh, but his partner gets killed and um it's like if they do a sting operation his partner gets killed and someone suggests that um, maybe he was a, you know, a dirty cop. Maybe he was um, like taking someone that's like. And the response is that is impossible. There are no, um, there are no corrupt police officers in the glorious <laughs> Republic of Romania. It's impossible that there could be anyone. And, and just <laughs> over and over, they like keep going on about how evil capitalism is, um, how that's all Americans care about is money. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. Uh, um, I would definitely recommend watching it. I think there's only about six episodes, so it doesn't take too long to um, burn through. But uh, it's like genuinely shot on location in Bucharest as well, um, which is crazy because it's like shot recently and it still looks like it's the 80s over there. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> but that's Romania. Um, but yeah, that so I've so been watching that for a Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's very much like that. There's a whole pivotal plot point around jeans which is a very old joke with the 80s sort of communism that, you know, they couldn't get jeans, so they were a hot commodity over there. <laughs> but I've enjoying it. The last episode I watched was on about um, the church and how evil it is and, uh, and so on. Uh, it's really good. It's just, it, it's, uh, it's such an interesting concept of what they've done. Uh, in a weird way, it sort of reminds me a little bit of this is an odd comparison, but has anyone ever watched Dark Place, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Oh, I bloody love Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. It sort of feels like an American version of that, so obviously it doesn't quite hit the same comedy notes. Um, but yeah, it's got the whole thing. You've got um, you've got Channing Tatum 
with the director sat in a theatre talking a little bit sometimes before the episode and then you get the episode. Um, it's really good. I would definitely recommend watching it. I think they're, they're only shot, well, 40-minute-ish episodes, and I said there's only six. But it's just such an interesting piece of like, work, the whole concept for it, that it's this lost Soviet-era um, like critically famous show. Um, I think in one of the bits where they're talking about it before he goes into the show, they're on about how it was actually Stanley Kubrick's favourite um, series um, and how <laughs> a lot of it influenced his later work and stuff like that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really good. It's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I've not heard of that. I'll have to uh, check it out. Uh, yeah, it's streaming on Amazon. I like that at the minute. Yeah. Very good, very good. Um, have we got anything else before we move on to the main feature this week? I don't think we've, I don't think we've, we've mentioned it by name, have we yet? I don't think so. Uh, it, we're doing Blade Runner, aren't we, from 1982? We are, we are. Um, directed by Ridley Scott. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I've, I watched this film uh, recently. Uh, well, I watched it twice. Um, the first time, I'll be honest, it completely passed me by. I, I felt like I wasn't even watching a film. Um, I feel like I did. Well, I think the problem was me. I don't think the problem was the film. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wasn't paying enough attention, so... I didn't really take it in at all and thought nothing of it. And I thought, right, there must be something wrong. So I thought, right, I'm going to rewatch it. And I said to you two, I was like, right, well, let's, let's do a podcast on Blade Runner then. Uh, and I rewatched it and I focused on it, really did. Um, and there were parts I enjoyed. I generally found it quite boring though. There's, I'm just going to throw my opinion straight out there. I thought it was... I, whilst I enjoyed it, I'm not rushing back to go watch it again. I thought it was a bit... I think that is a common exp- a common experience with it. Uh, well, sorry, a common opinion. And that's the, the thing of the film. It's, it's more like an experience than an actual uh, story. You know what I mean? I definitely picked up on that. Definitely. Like, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think? Well, I, I really like it. Um, I think intentionally the pacing is slow. It's, it's meant to yeah. sort of like plod along. I, I really like it. I do. But in some ways, I like it more for like the whole experience more than a story. Like the world and like how I think it fits together. I love about Blade Runner. It just all slots so neatly. I think in it is so believable and makes sense. Um, the story yes, sort of step into that for me. It's got an amazing aesthetic. I think, I think it's it's an incredible aesthetic. Like throughout, I'm talking sound design. I'm talking music, visuals. Like you know, if you if you show me a flying car, that's going to win me over. Like it's worth mentioning. Which cut did you guys both watch? Uh, so I watched the 1997 final cut. That's the one I watched. I actually rewatched that one today. I watched the final cut. I have watched the director's cut in the past, but uh, yeah, this morning I watched. The final. I watched the final cut. It's the only one. There's a box set there with four versions of the film. It's the only one in 4K in that box set. So I watched that one. But uh, I grew up watching the original version. And like, I think you might actually like it more, Joe, because it's like talking before about Lynch, you know, wanting his own vision and stuff in a film. Ridley Scott wanted his own vision of this film and Warner Brothers completely overrode him and like changed all the film pretty much without his knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Like the original, the original version of the film has narration all the way through by Harrison Ford because <laughs> Warner Brothers thought that people wouldn't understand it kind of thing. So like they got him back into the studio, made him record like an hour's worth of narration just to literally put over the top of the film. 
And when you watch it, he sounds so bored with the miracle. Like he, he didn't want to do it himself either. He wanted to keep like to, to Scott's vision kind of thing. Yeah. But they had, they had him over, over a Bible because of contracts and stuff, and they got him to do that. And like literally, there's a happy ending in that version. In the original version, like him and Rachel drive off into the uh, literally driving off into the sunset you know, on like over a mountain. Really? Uh, no happily, happily ever after. And she like, she doesn't die after four years for whatever reason, and she lives on kind of thing. And uh, oh. yeah, it's weird. <laughs> That's but hard. it might it might help some of the issues we have with it because it literally there's no points where you're just watching Harrison Ford like drinking uh, like whiskey for five minutes kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's, there's always yeah. something going on kind of thing. Yeah, like I, I the thing is like I, I'm I'm all for you know look watching a film and thinking like this is an artistic experience. I'm just gonna enjoy what I'm exp- you know experiencing in front of me. But the thing is, it's like, it's a film where if you showed me loads of film, like stills, like there's, there's some great shots in the film. And if you play me the music, like both separately, like great. Put them together, still great. Watch it with this film for whatever reason. I just thought I found it a bit boring. Oh, that's the, the thing. Like, the, the whole film's about the atmosphere. Like and you mentioned there, like uh, Vangelis do the soundtrack. And it's directed by Ridley Scott, who, who like before this had done Alien. And not long before that, he was like, uh, he did adverts, you know what I mean? He was, was a commercial advertising director kind of thing. Uh, so like, just the look of the film combined with the soundtrack and stuff, it just creates this kind of like timeless vision of the future kind of thing. Even though now we're currently past the date of this film. <laughs> it was set in like 2019, wasn't it? Uh, November 2019. But uh, yeah. it's just this, this really weird, like timeless vision of like the future kind of thing. Yeah, it's a lot of neon in there. A lot of neon, uh, very dark, but uh, even like the cast as well. There's a great cast of this film. I'll just run through a few of them. Like it's like a like a who's who of like character actors from the 1980s kind of thing. It's like Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, uh, Daryl Hannah, Edward J. Olmos, uh, Brian uh, Brian James, M. Emmett Walsh, Joe Turkle. I only realised recently he was in The Shining as the, the bartender. Oh, wow. and uh, in Blade Runner, he's the guy uh, Eldon uh, Eldon Tyrell who runs the Tyrell Corporation. Well, I only realised that last year. Yeah, he's yeah, in the Shining. Yeah, I didn't until uh, I saw it in a documentary or something. But uh, yes, yeah, same guy. And uh, James Hong, who's the Asian guy in the in the freezer early on, who's, who's in like in all the eighties action films and stuff like. Uh, yeah, so he's got a good cast. Yeah, um, I mean, I, go on, see. I was going to say, like, but yeah, aesthetically, this sort of informed a whole subculture. It's like Cyberpunk is, yeah. is Blade Runner for, for me. This is like, I mean, I don't know, was it necessarily a first sort of Cyberpunk like media? I mean, obviously, this is an account like Normanter and stuff like that, which is arguably the first example of Cyberpunk. Well, it's uh, very, very influential. Yeah, 100%. It's a good point. Like, uh, just, just a lot of the dystopian sci-fi future stuff just all comes from this film, doesn't it? You know. The, I think that's. Sorry, John. I, I just want to get this point out of there before I forget it. Um, I think that's the problem that I've got is that I'm in 2020. I'm so used to enjoying all the things that are probably taken from Blade Runner that by the time I get to Blade Runner, I can't recreate the experience of watching that in 1982 or let's say when a lot of this wasn't around. Um, I can't recreate that. So I'm just used to all the the new stuff which is took from that. Like grew, yeah, I grew I up with the Ma- the Matrix came out when I was like ten, eleven years old. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, how familiar are you guys with uh, Philip K. Dick? Which like 
is the story that this film's based on. Yeah, it's, that it's a dream of sleep. Do Android create a dream of electric sheep, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, I've got. I've read a fair bit of Philip K. Dick, but I've not like read them all. Um, I mean, pretty much all his stories are now weird sci-fi films, aren't they? Really? That's the thing. Like, there's so much stuff he's done. Like, there's, there's this, the Man in the High Castle. That's Philip K. Dick. Uh, a Scanner Darkness. Yeah, Manos Report, Total Recall, uh, The Adjustment Bureau. So, like, this was obviously the first one based on his on his work, but it kicked off like a subgenre of, like, Philip K. Dick stuff. <laughs> Just adapts everything he's ever, ever wrote, kind of thing. <laughs> I think Ridley Scott is such a good fit for this as well, because, like, with Alien, like you mentioned before, he's got such a knack for not just doing, like, a sci-fi world, but making it so believable and so lived in. Um, it's yeah, like that's totally hard right. Sci-fi. It's like, yeah. I think it looks like it's natural, like nothing super clean. Like this is the future, but it's just shitty. Like it's raining all the time. Like nothing <laughs> works. Everything's broken down and decrepit. Like when we yeah. go in um, Sebastian's apartment block, he's the only person that lives this. in it, and the rest of it is derelict. Yeah. It's like this is this is what the future is probably going to be like. It's going to everything's going to just be horrible. Steve, uh, further right. to that, further to that, with in Sebastian's apartment block, like it's the it's the ambience of the uh, the blue smoky lighting, <laughs> just all <laughs> over the place. Yeah, yeah. If he can put like a, a strobe light onto a window, like he will do, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like I think I still hit on something there that I'm not I'm not clicked with. He has a knack, like an alien. The concept of alien is like a futuristic thing, but. The yeah. way they approach it, everyone working on that ship, they're just like office workers. They're just like people, blue blue collar workers doing their jobs. Like in any other film, that would they'd, they'd all be like posh, like sci fi people. I can't I can't really explain yeah, what I mean. And this ship would be like a gleaming, predominantly yeah, yeah. white example, and it would be perfect. The Nostromo was falling apart. There was leaks everywhere. There was wires yeah. and stuff hanging from the ceiling, and it was like. like it makes sense. This is like it's it's not a posh research vessel. It's a trucking ship essentially. So it looks yeah, like exactly. a big it's a big rig in space. That's what it would be. And that's what it looks like like I've always but, looked like, at Star Wars for this as well. It's like it's a believable sci fi universe. Like everything's mm-hmm. just shitty and kicked in because it's lived in and it's like and it makes sense because the world's not perfect. So why would sci fi be perfect? And like an alien, there's a, there's a bit in the fir- in that film where a couple of the crew members are arguing about getting a bonus. They're saying like, "We're not doing it unless we get our bonus," kind of thing. And it's like a real, com- like a relatable conversation. You, can, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just just arguing about wages. You know what I mean? Like, it makes it feel real. And like in this film, Blade Runner, like any other any other film about like a futuristic cop tracking down cyborgs would be like, like say like this kind of like futuristic gleaming world. But in this, it looks like the worst job ever. <laughs> like, like just yeah. like a normal like day-to-day cop job. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, again, Decker's reluctant. Like he insists that he doesn't do it anymore, but he's basically not given a choice. And it's heavily yes. implied that you know, um, I don't know the name of the other cop, but he basically says, "If you're not one of us, you're one of the little people." Um, yeah. Which I thought that's quite interesting, especially with like today's climate. Uh, it's you know it makes it very much seem it's cops versus everyone else yeah definitely can I just jump off on point there like you mentioned Deckard this is one of the reasons why as a kid I loved Harrison Ford as my favourite actor kind of thing I thought he was was the best 
And I watched this when I was like 11 or 12, the original version. And I was like, this is not like, this is not like your typical House and Ford film. And it's because, like, Deckard, is he even like a good Blade Runner? Like, they, they, make, they make out as if, like, they're turning to him because we need the best, we need you back. Like, he's garbage as a Blade Runner. Like, the, he gets battered by that Leon and he gets saved by Sean Young. You get the impression uh, he bumbles through. Yeah, just literally, luckily, managed to solve the whole thing. Uh, the only one that he actually tracked down and killed was that woman who was shot in the back who fell through the glass. Yeah, in, in, a, <laughs> in a public place. Just, yeah. no, there's no so safety she, protocol there. Yeah, just shooting, running away, shooting in the back. Like, you know, he's like a really what bad the, player. Uh, <laughs> there's the scene where he's chasing her originally and she's sort of what looks like a subway entrance full of people and it's a really crowded shot. And then he pulls his gun and it's mental because yeah. there's shooting. just so many people around. <laughs> but yeah, I think he's just like, he's really bad at his job. At the end, uh, Rutger Hauer has him beat and luckily he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has him beat, but he, he, he helps him up and then, and then that's sort of it. And then there's the moment, you mentioned there, John, before about like five minutes of just like nothing happening. Like, yeah. I can't, that if you, on the final cut, I don't know what it's like on the other versions, but on the final cut, it's a solid minute of them staring at each other with music playing in the rain. A solid yeah. minute. No, no dialogue. <laughs> nothing. Just staring. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Roger Howard is so good in this film. I like, yeah, like, like it's like almost like, like isn't it? his character name, which is an awful character name, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but he's so good. He's so like obviously towards the end when he's actively, you say there's a minute and stuff where he's not doing anything. He's he's playing with Deckard like there's because he's he's like an elite combat unit. Like he's the best sort of military tech that exists in the world. Um, so he's just playing with him. It's like when he when they first sort of fight and he smashes through the, his fist through the wall and pulls his hand through and then breaks yeah. his fingers and then gives him his gun back. Like, yeah, you can get me, we can make a shot sort of thing. Like, he knows he's going to... In his mind, he's going to win that fight, so he doesn't even really care. Yeah. But he's, he's just so menacing. Like, even before that, just his interactions um, with Sebastian is like... Just watching that, that entire scene where Sebastian's making breakfast is possibly one of the most tense I've ever been in any sort of film ever. Just where yeah. we keep, where it keeps cutting away to the eggs bubbling away. It's horrible. It's so tense. I just almost yeah. can't bear it. I totally agree. Like, it's almost taken for granted a bit. Like, you know, if you mention it to someone like, oh, look at how it was great in Blade Runner. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, the ending bit. But it's like, no, no, not just the ending. Like, the entire film, he is amazing kind of thing. <laughs> he puts in such a performance all the way through. Yeah, there's that bit where he's talking to Chris and he mentions that he, that they're the last two left. And he genuinely looks devastated that, they're, yeah. that they are the only two left. Like, he looks like he is genuinely going to break down and start crying. There's one bit as well, like, uh, early on, where he's talking to James Hong, who's the... Uh, the Asian actor who's making eyes for the replicants. And he has a line where uh, James Hong's saying like, oh, I, ma I made your eyes, or whatever. And uh, Roger Howe was like, uh, if only you could see what I've seen with your eyes, kind of thing. It's just like a class line, you know what I mean? Like, this dialogue's amazing. I mean, yeah. the very famous ending dialogue as well is like, there's so many people who'll know that, who probably haven't watched Blade Runner, but they'll, yeah. know, what, they'll know that last sort of speech. About like that speech, 
combined with that uh, that evangelist music in the background, it's it's a classic. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd heard that the way before. He as well. Yeah, I'd heard, I'd heard that before. Um, you know that that line and stuff. It's 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 one of the big lines, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Seeing a, a, attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion, like it's so good. But yeah, look at how this film, like it's just off the scale, how good he is. Like, it, you know, when like people talk about like someone being born to play a part, it really does feel like he was born to play Roy Batty kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, there's just it's, obviously it's the way he delivers a line, but there's just. Every now and again, there's such a weird sort of cadence to how he speaks. And I feel like that's sort of where it betrays that he's, you know, obviously a replicant. Every now and again, he'll, he'll, he'll be halfway through a sentence and just have to take a couple of extra sort of breaths between saying the next word. And it just sort of, it just makes it so chilling. Um, yeah. He's just, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's really, really good. I mean, as much as I like Harrison Ford in the film as, uh, as you know, arguably the main character, I mean, Rudder Howard, it just wouldn't be the same film without him in that role. Like, I, I've always kind of taken Harrison Ford for granted, like, but I don't think he's particularly that good in this film. Just watching it this time, he has a few little, like, ticks and quirks that he falls back on. Like, the, do you remember the bit where he's talking to uh, Zora, the woman who shoots in the back, just in cold blood kind of thing? He's talking to her, and he's put this weird, like, nerdy voice on. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Yeah, when yeah, he's he claims it's from a, he's meant to be from the committee of moral abuses, but it's like, like a Simpsons nerd character or something. It's like, oh, oh boy, <laughs> 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 just a really weird choice to do. Like, <laughs> he he, uh, he definitely looks the part though in this film. Like, it, it fits in with the whole like aesthetic. I think the focal point, isn't he? He does, but like, there's another thing that he falls back on. He kind of does it a bit in Indiana Jones and Star Wars. This, but. I feel like he's really noticeable in this film. Whenever he's getting beat up, he proper like over exaggerates kind of thing. I don't know if you noticed or not, like but there's one bit where Leon's beating him up against that dumpster. And he has a thing where he, he holds his mouth open when he's getting beat up. It's like <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that at all? Like it's just it's like he's trying to oversell it or something. It's really weird. <laughs> and he'll do this thing where there's a bit at the end where Roy Batty's chasing him. And like he does this thing where like he's so like kind of beat up and intense, he'll blink a lot. He'll be like blinking at the camera with his gun and stuff, and it just a little a little tick that he always seems to do, kind of thing. And it's just really noticeable in this film. That... Needs to yeah, this, this, really... this, should, this needs to be a video pod. This. I was, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say the same thing. I'm so unhappy that nobody will get to witness those impressions <laughs> over at me and Joe. It can be our first YouTube vid. We'll do our impressions of House and Ford in Blade from there. <laughs> I feel like your one was offensive. <laughs> like, he's got, Harrison Ford's got sort of a distinct face that he pulls in like every film as well. And it's like sort of an almost exasperated expression. He does it when he's ordering noodles and the police come to pick him up. It's sort of like a, almost a hound dog look back towards the noodle vendor. And I feel like he yeah. does that in every single film. I know what you mean. Like, there's one bit where the other guy, uh, Edward James Olmos, taps him on the shoulder with his cane like that. And he grabs the cane like... <laughs> No, he's that annoyed kind of thing. <laughs> just like standard Harrison Ford stuff, but uh, it's still good though. It's just, I think you can see like he's more suited to uh, Han Solo and Indiana yeah. Jones. Well, I think Edward James almost is mean, fantastic as well for for a role that barely has any dialogue. He sort of yeah. fulfills um, what I would say is like a William the Fog role, where he barely says anything and he's sort of like almost set dressing, but he's still so menacing and like has such a presence on screen 
even though he's not really doing anything. And I feel, I feel like he's great at that because he's, he's so present in the film. He's like, he's in so many scenes just lurking in the background and then obviously leaving his cranes around as well. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, just his look, like, he has that hat and the, the little, like, uh, kind of goatee beard and stuff. It just looks really, like, unique, you know what I mean? Uh, when you see him in, like, Battlestar Galactica, you're like, that's that guy. You know what I mean? Like, he looks nothing like him, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Uh, obviously, there's yeah. a bit of a gap between the two, but, yeah, you wouldn't put two and two together there at all. Yeah, exactly. But he is great, though. Uh, I mean, do you want to get into that now, the whole origami unicorn thing? I'd say we get into it. Uh, yeah. Do you guys know the uh, significance of that? The, uh, the origami unicorn that's left at the end. Do you guys get the meaning behind the fact that he dreamed of a unicorn earlier in the film? It's like implying that he's a replicant, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that. Because <laughs> like, like, otherwise, how would he know his dreams? You know what I mean? Or is it just a coincidence? You know, that's the thing. Uh, but it shows him dreaming of a unicorn earlier. Then later, he leaves that for him as if to suggest, like, he himself is a replicant that's been built just to, to chase replicants kind of thing. But that unicorn scene, the dream, was it in the original cut. So when he does that at the end, it's got no meaning whatsoever. It's just a way to end the film. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, okay. It's only the final cut that's put that back in. Very interesting, that, to just to have that in and then not... I don't know, it kind of doesn't make sense originally like uh this is the thing that maybe like you might be missing joe because like, this, this has been a, like a myth and a legend going back to when it was first made for years everyone's debated about that's the big the, the big debate about the films like is deckard a replicant yeah. or not you know what i mean that's the big question about the film that's i think that's why a lot of people love it because it's a bit like a, a bit of an inception kind of thing you know yeah. the end of inception. is he actually still in the dream world or does he come out kind of thing and people love that kind of that kind of ambiguity and that has been like the big the big mystery behind the whole film but they've answered it in Blade Runner 20, 2049. So I won't, I won't oh, say, I won't, yeah, I won't mention to you guys what it is, but uh, he kind of wrapped it up. So, right. uh, but yeah, that's like a big thing. But there's like all little weird myths around it. I always thought this was the truth. That scene with the unicorn, where it comes galloping out the woods, the myth always was that he shot that three years later for the film called, the film called Legend with Tom Cruise. And he used that footage to cut back into the film to fit what he wanted. But it's, it's not true. He actually shot it for Blade Runner in 1982. And Warner Brothers just took it out because they thought, why the fuck are we showing a unicorn about the forest? <laughs> and that just shows like how stupid the studios are, kind of thing. Uh, yes, it wasn't in the original cut, so it just made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I'd say, um, I mean, we've gone over a few things there where... I'm not. I'm not sort of rethinking how I feel about the film, but it I, it does remind me of a lot more of the positive things that I sort of saw in the film. Some of the shots. So Harrison Ford, when you first see him, he's sat in front of the fluorescent lights. I think that was a very a very nice shot um, with the music behind it and stuff. It's not far into the film that we end up in a meeting with Harrison and Tyrell, and you know when he's yeah. they're, they're talking about Rachel. That the scenery of where they are, where it's like this grand sort of almost marble like giant room with the background being like pyramids and just sharp edges almost like it, it's, yeah it was the aesthetic on that, that that's that was my favorite sort of scenery of the entire film which is great i agree like it's yeah. like a, it's a weird like 1920s art deco style mixed with this weird futuristic thing it's like really 
really odd, but it's like timeless. It, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it works as a future because it just looks like it's not set in any time kind of thing. Like it could be any time, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it could be, it could be any, it could be anywhere that. It could be any time, anywhere. Definitely. I mean, just the design of like the Tyrell building in general is amazing where you've got the, like it's a giant almost pyramid and you've got the elevator going up to it um, or even the wider shots where you've got them going in a flying car. Yeah, it just looks like such an imposing sort of evil building. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, agreed. Uh, some of the other stuff I liked in the film, just generally the soundtrack. There's quite a few sort of wobbly, slightly out-of-tune pianos with uh, synthesizers. I was well into that. I think I heard a saxophone at one point in the film. Um, yeah. It was the I think the thing with that, it's meant kind of thing. Ridley Scott was basically making it like a 1940s detective film, but set in the future. And so right. that's why you've got all that, that weird like jazz warbling stuff in the background because it's like a 1940s jazz band kind of thing, but yeah. in the future, you know what I mean? In the future kind of thing. Yeah, but I, I thought the music was great. I think one particular moment is when Rachel runs away from Harrison Ford. I forgot his name, Decker. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the notes sort of, like when she runs away from him, the notes go a bit funny and like you end up in some like downward sort of run down the, like the scale uh, and it slows down a bit almost. And it's kind of a weird scene anyway. And then the music kind of makes it feel even weirder. What, what are your is thoughts the, on uh, that? Is that the... Is that the hashtag Me Too scene? I was going to say well, that's that's the, the, that's, well, yeah, that's, that's the slightly you know yeah the slightly I don't know troubling <laughs> troubling yeah. scene twenty twenty. He basically forcing himself on her. <laughs> yeah, because when I was watching, I was thinking like this is a bit a bit different. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that is that it's a product of its time kind of thing, and maybe again evoking the nineteen forties kind of film noir thing. You know, like I don't think the it has a different feeling watching that scene now than it did in 1982. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon that was a lot? That, did that sort of thing fly in 1982? <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fine back then. <laughs> so there's a chase scene where Harrison Ford's chasing her through the, chasing the replicant through the streets. You know, it's all rainy and it's like, yeah. streets and then I feel like I saw like a metro station at one point I can't remember but the, the sound design on that if you actually watch it like they've proper segmented all the sound design and it's it just sounds great because it transitions from part to part and when you actually listen to it like they've, they've put an awful lot behind that and it, it works it, that's, that's something I noticed actually they do a lot of weird stuff with like uh, effects on dialogue there are times when people are talking and it's just like really like almost echoey or something I, I can't really explain what I mean but yeah, they just seem to, they seem to tinker a lot with just dialogue and stuff and, and sound effects that they don't sound the way you would think they sound. Do you know what I mean by that? Though? It's because you can make something a lot more unsettling by very slightly changing the audio on it. Totally. like It's almost making it like dreamlike or something at points. It's really weird. Yeah, it's, it's like said about some of the piano. Like, note, you hear it, it, they, they go in and out of tune as the note is still playing, and that just adds a very strange atmosphere. And I suppose all that builds into the, the entire aesthetic of the film, doesn't it? Yeah. Can I just mention something, like, in terms of, like, the mystery of the film? Like, again, I think that's the big attraction of the film. The whole thing feels like a mystery, like, just throughout the whole thing. And... A lot of that, I think, came from the fact that there's a lot of infighting making it. It was like a really troubled production of stuff. Ridley Scott apparently is like a tyrant making a film kind of thing. He just, everyone hated him. 
even to the point where like the crew had t-shirts printed like taking the piss out of them and stuff i can't think now what it was but there was some like weird joke about really scott like and they were wearing these t-shirts while they were working for him kind of thing uh, but him and harrison ford had a lot of uh on screen uh, on, on set disagreements and a lot of it comes back to the replicant thing that Ridley Scott was adamant he was a replicant and Harrison Ford was like I'm not playing him as a replicant he's not a replicant kind of thing so they, were, they had a big fight about that and I think that ties into the mystery of the film because even the people making it didn't really know what they were making <laughs> do you know what I mean like yeah. if the people if the people in the film don't even know what film they're making it's like it just adds to the overall intrigue of it kind of thing like the that looks like yeah, like a happy accident, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, yeah. like the, the conflict there has created like a natural situation where he said, right, well, I'm going to play this as a human. <laughs> and then, so then you end up at the end with that sort of question, though, yeah, it's like, are they a replicant? Yeah, I mean, that's not a spoiler for 2049, by the way. Like, don't don't take anything I've said there as like an <laughs> okay. indication for that. Because like, even like, as apparently, I read like in Empire years ago that even in the making of Blade Runner 2049, Denny Villeneuve and Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford were going to dinner and stuff. And they were still arguing about whether he was a replica. I still couldn't decide at that point like which way to go with it kind of thing. She made an interesting connection. Um, so the director of Blade Runner 2049. Um, yeah, is the director of Dune, yeah. Yeah, interestingly, um, Ridley Scott's name was floated for the original Dune film, you know, the one that David Lynch ended up doing. Ah, of course, it makes sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Should have. I should have done that beforehand, and we could have done a nice little link there. But, but yeah. you know, moving over. We'll, and, we'll uh, save it for next time. David well, Lynch. Well, just put this bit out now, and then put it earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> just shuffle it round. <laughs> yeah, be fine. David Lynch famously turned down Return of the Jedi to do June, and Harrison Ford starred in Return of the Jedi. A little connection. Oh. Didn't know that, didn't know that. Um, yeah, he was offered Return of the Jedi. Uh, uh, one thing I did want to point out is that I saw one of the creepiest fingers I've ever seen on this film. Uh, I've, I've, I've ended up absorbing a few horror films recently, but when... Can I, can um, I guess what it is? Go on. Is it where uh, Leon's putting eyeballs on Thingy's shoulder? No, no, no. This was like... Oh, right. Um, is your... Sebastian's friend? <laughs> Oh god, he is creepy. They're creepy. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> no, that's horrible. It's the one where Sebastian says something, and then he's like, uh, "Oh yeah," and I like having fun with my friends. And then the camera just it moves over to you know the one with the big nose. Yeah. And he just he sat next to him, and he looks terrified, and he just starts growling. And I was like, "That's actually like really disturbing." <laughs> like, what you yeah. are making me look at here. There's one bit where uh, Sebastian's asleep, and Chris is like sniffing him for some reason and that's that toy is like looking at her out of the corner of his eye and it's so creepy yeah, like, yeah. and again he, he looks terrified he's like <laughs> what's horrible about the um sebastian's toy is is it just me or is the implication there that they're basically rudimentary replicant and they probably have you know minds of their own yeah. But they're just in yeah. shitty bodies and they can't do anything or live or be anything. Do you even see the bit where they've clearly got bad motor skills? Because one of them walked into a door frame just yeah. when you first see him. But like, that whole, because <laughs> he says, because Sebastian rather creepily says, there's a little bit of me and you when he's talking to, um, mm. when he's talking to Roy and Chris. Like, clearly he's been part of that world and makes things. And he says he made his friend. But it's like, oh, is he just made like, 
horrible, rubbish replicants that are living like in abject misery but don't have any choice. Yeah, he's just he's just making like just sad things. Just the whole, whole all of Sebastian just upsets me. Yeah, basically, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just horrible. <laughs> it's the most sort of disturbing place in sort of the whole film. Like, for me, it's just oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I I would say I I. I've probably covered what I want to cover for this. Uh, have you got any final points you want to come to before we start sort of rating it and stuff? I've just got a few final so, points, yeah. Well, I've got just two scenes. Well, more, one point and one scene, really, that I wanted to highlight that I love. Um, the scene where he's talking to Rachel and he's basically telling her her memories. That leads up to the spider hatching. I love that. It's so good. That, like, yes. That's just the slow sort of realisation from Rachel. Yeah. As she sort of realizes what he's saying. Um, I think that's, that's nice. Um, like, and then I'm, not, other... I'm not a big fan of Shaw Young, but the way she plays that, you can just see you can see her face like she's crestfallen, kind of thing. You know, like she just realized she's a replicant, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The bit where he says, sort of like she sort of doesn't understand how he knows, and when she joins in, and then where he says, it's because you're not, they're not your memories, the the Harrell's yeah. nieces. I just yeah. that is, and then how upset she is that even leads to him saying, "Oh no, it was a joke. It was just a bad joke that I was telling, sort of, to try and yeah. rush out of it." Um, that and the whole idea of the test as well, which I love. Like it's sort of this far, far flung future, and the best way we've got to tell replicants and humans apart is some weird test <laughs> where you just yes. get asked questions, and it's based on how you respond. You end up getting mental. Yeah, it's crazy that like that's that's how they figure you out. It's just asking you a bunch of questions and have a really uncomfortable close up shot of your eye. That's, that's I it. found a bit of a I found a glitch with that though. The whole void comp test thing. Uh, that's the only way to find out with the replicants. Actually, their eyes glow. So look at their eyes, and you know, your replicant kill them. Glowy, glowy eyes. But yeah, I yeah, quite, quite like that touch though. Blood. Just cut them open. You know, <laughs> they're not human, basically. <laughs> and so, well, like, yeah, that was one thing I really noticed on this watch. Like the eyes that, that glow so much, but I read afterwards that that's there for the audience. Basically, it's just a little like uh, in that world, they're not seeing people's eyes glow. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's just, just like there, a just there for the audience. Yeah, like a little nod for the audience kind of thing. But yeah, but I thought uh, when I saw the eyes glow, I was like, oh, forget the test. Just just go to an optician. Just the whole. The whole idea of replicants in general is just kind of horrible, really. Like we've made indistinguishable from human robots, and we thought, you know what, they're going to get uppity. Let's only let them live four years. Yeah. Uh, but also, let's not let them know that they're robots, and then it could be a nice surprise for them when the four years <laughs> is up and they fall <laughs> apart. Um, and you know, let's give them all shitty jobs. Like you've got Roy, who is a forced soldier that's his job he, he has to fight um and then it's sort of it is mentioned sort of offhandedly that chris is a is a pleasure model shall we say um how on the atarichis so it's like the, the two principal replicants we know that one of them is a soldier and has probably zero choice in it and the one is, is a i would say prostitute but she probably doesn't get paid for it so that doesn't yeah. really work <laughs> is it any wonder that they want to just Run away and just well, be happy I, and live their own I, lives. 
I read there's, there's one way to watch this film where if you look at Harrison Ford as a paid assassin and you look at the replicants as escaped slaves, <laughs> the whole film just feels a lot different. <laughs> yeah, that does put a different yeah. twinge on. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, one thing uh, in terms of like this film being like a predictive future. We mentioned earlier about it feels timeless, you know, and it could, it could happen at any time kind of thing. There's one bit where they break that. They have a massive TDK neon sign at the end of the film, and it's like, ah, TDK didn't make out the 80s, so they've got that wrong. <laughs> TDK are long gone. And uh, I've just got one final point, if that's okay. Uh, like, again, we're back in lockdown again, and uh, Danny's, the Chinese in town, is short. And Lee's, the other Chinese that I go to, it's just like, you never know it's going to be open kind of thing. Like, you just, you know, might as well be short. It's so hyper-localised. <laughs> <laughs> we're proper craving like a good Chinese and that bit at the start of the film where like he orders a couple of dumplings and uh, some noodles and stuff you want to get a quick look at it but it looks amazing kind of thing and he has a little bite of it and you're like oh that Chinese looks so good and that, that's my final point oh, makes, me, makes me want to go down east down <laughs> at Warrington Town Centre it really does I can't, I can't wait for lockdown to end just go to the Chinese <laughs> Danny's right sorry for anyone who lives in Warrington you'll know this I will never apologise. Well, I mean, to be honest, if you if you live in Warrington, you need an apology just for some sort of reason. Um, <laughs> Danny's barely qualifies as a Chinese. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. <laughs> it was actually closed the other week because uh, of COVID. Someone had COVID in there. That's generally yeah, no, the, I, I put the door. Yeah. That makes sense. If I'm honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah get on to Danny's if you're in the, in the area. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, okay, yeah, I, th- I think we've pretty much covered the points we want to cover for the film. Um, yeah. wanna, should we start giving final thoughts? I'll, I'll give you mine first. Um, I, I suppose with me, it's I can only really review it based on what I can see in front of me in 2020, having never seen it before. I reckon if I'd have watched it in 1982, it would have blown my mind. Um, I can appreciate the aesthetic, so that rages all across the film. You know, it, it's, it's quite the atmosphere in there. I just thought the story was a bit boring. Um, uh, that was that. Um, I'm probably That's the funny thing. Sorry to cut you off there, mate, but like, there almost is no story, is there? Yeah. It's like you're almost just watching things happen. You know what I mean? I think with me, uh, it's made me want to watch Blade Runner 2049 a lot more because I, I feel like that's that's almost like I might get I might get what I want out of Blade Runner from that film. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But I, I definitely think you will. It's more of a traditional story, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, it's, yeah. it's even more that I imagine special effects and stuff are going to be of, of upgraded by 50 years, because um, it's 50 years set after the first. Uh, 30, I think. Oh, yeah, 30. 30. 20, 2049, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't do well at math. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 talking about it, there were, there were more that I enjoyed than I realised, but yeah, definitely, definitely a bit more on the boring side. So for me, I'd probably give it, I found I sound pretty down on it, but probably probably a two point five. Um simply because I think I went in with too high expectations. I thought it was gonna blow me away and it just didn't. Yep. Uh, Steve, what would you uh, well, I've definitely talked on the podcast before of like my weird love of films where nothing actually really happens in the film. Um because there's a lot of my favourite films that that's the case. You know, there's uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's a great example, like up until the last couple of minutes. And even though stuff at the end doesn't really tie into the rest of the story, nothing happens. Um, that's one of my favourite films. 
The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, zero happened in that film. There's just no story in that film <laughs> at all. I absolutely love it. And again with this, um, I think John, like John said, it's almost like there isn't a storyline in it. But I almost feel like, it's weird really, it's more like just Blade Runner is sort of like a piece of art almost more than a film. It's like, yeah, definitely. like, an, like an experience um, and I absolutely love it. Um, I did watch it relatively young. Um, I'm only a shade older than Joe, but I did watch it a very long time ago. Um, I think I was like maybe 10 when I first saw it, um, which would have been still a long time after it came out. I think I was still roughly 15 years. I'm not going to do the quick math in my head um, after it came out. And it did inform quite heavily on me. I, I think I probably watched it around the same time as I watched the first Aliens, um, and I first started watching sort of sci-fi. And again, like I was saying before, how much I love hard sci-fi and like universes that lived in. I was watching all these films around the same sort of time. And that sort of, to me, almost um, informed what sci-fi should be for me. You know, it's, it's a, you know, it looks like it should be a realistic world that's lived in. Um, and that's like proper gets me. Um, but yeah, I just think it's such a good film. And it's, I, I get that nothing happens in it. And I can get how that can be boring. But all the parts where you're not focusing on a story you're too busy like listening to the soundtrack or just looking at the like the visual spect- uh, spectacle in front of you um, and again it's I get what you're saying Joe where maybe if you'd watched it before you've watched stuff that has obviously been influenced by it because uh, obviously you watch stuff that's been influenced by it you, you, you know it's fair to say that something's been influenced by it and maybe it's refined what Blade Runner did so arguably could be a little better. Um, but luckily, I had that experience where this is one of the first sort of cyber, it's certainly the first cyberpunk film I saw. Uh, and for me, it's probably still the best example of cyberpunk as a genre, which is something that I quite like. Um, you know, for me, even even beats like Akira and um, Ghost in the Shell, I do think that's got a better cyberpunk vision. I mean, I'm not going to score it like a five, but I think definitely for me, probably a four point five for sure. Great stuff, um, John. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I've uh, I think I've pretty much covered everything in the actual review kind of thing, but yeah, I love it. Uh, it again, it's one of them that maybe because I grew up with it and kind of like lived the whole mystery kind of thing of every couple of years you'll hear a bit more about Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford debating about whether you know he's a replicant or not that kind of thing. Uh, and the fact that when I grew up watching it, it was the original version. Then the director's cut, the director's cut came out in the 90s. Then they refined that with the final cut kind of thing. And just, you know, just the whole timeline of it kind of thing, just following it all the way through. Just just loved every minute of it kind of thing. So I'll, yeah, I'll give it a five. Definitely give it a five. I think I gave a 2049 a six. So, yeah, five-star film. Absolutely love it. I feel, like, I feel like if I watched it, you know, like when I was younger or as a teenager, I'd probably have the feelings for it now that, you know, I'd probably still, I'd probably love it. Um, maybe it's something where maybe I'll come back to it in 10 years <laughs> and I'll, I'll be nostalgic for this time. And I'll be like, oh yeah, like that's, that I've, I've picked that up there and that sort of sat with me for a few years. And then I've been able to go back to it knowing what I'm going into, you know, completely. Yeah. Um, I'd enjoy it in a, in a different way, maybe. That's the thing, like, because it's not very story-heavy, it is the kind of film that benefits on rewatches. whereas a film that is story-heavy, it's all just about what happens next, you know what I mean? Like, you just, you just watch it to find out what happens next. This film doesn't rely on that. I think it, just, it does become a film that's 
infinitely more rewatchable kind of thing because of it. I, I enjoyed it twice as much the second time I watched it. Yeah. I'll watch it one more time. It'll be a five-star film then. Well, this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, I knew I liked the film anyway, but rewatching it this morning sort of reaffirmed how much I love this film. Like, if I would have just not rewatched it for this podcast and I would have got off my memory, I probably would have probably, despite loving it, probably gave it closer to like a sort of a three. But like watching it again this morning and just watching it and thinking, oh, no, this is such a good film. It just, yeah, it just boosted that score up for me. But like John was saying, again, I saw a couple of things cut to this film. And it is, you know, like sometimes where you see like a, a film will have an event happens and then later on the main character will learn something new and then you'll still pan back to what happened and you'll get it from a slightly different angle that gives you more information. That's almost what all these repeated cuts to this film has done. Like every time yeah. we've got a new little bit of information and it subtly changes the film but adds a lot of meaning to it. Um, yeah. Which is weird because that's like a great bonus to the film that was sort of never intended but it's just naturally happened. That's pretty cool. Not many films can say that. Yeah. And like I say, I think, I think you would benefit, Joe, from watching the original cut because it also makes you, almost makes you appreciate this one even more kind of thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean by that? Because you watch the yeah. original cut and you're like, just over explaining everything and explain absolutely everything in the film. Yeah. And it makes you appreciate how much this film does by telling you nothing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just watching watching it unfold kind of thing. Yeah. I know I, I do like the sound of it. Um and like I said, it like I've not gave it a bad rating uh, because you know I did enjoy it and I have watched it twice now. I've put four hours into watching it. Yeah, it's it's made me want to watch the next Blade Runner. So you know that's that's what I'm gonna be doing. Cool, cool. Very good, very good. Uh, right, guys. Um, I think we're done. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I forgot how to wrap these up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll we'll probably be back in a few weeks with another episode. Um, John, have you got anything lined up? Don't think so. Nothing to mention. Uh, yeah. No, I think I'm. Think I'm done. No. So, um, Steve, have you got anything else, or should we wrap up? Uh, no, I think we've uh, we've been fairly comprehensive this evening. Lovely, lovely. Well, perfect then. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, hope you've enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed that. And we'll speak to you next time. Cheers. Bye. Bye. I love you. Cheers.